uh, with you, my Big Woods family. I want to thank you on behalf of both Wendy and myself for the opportunity. We had to be away, a little bit of vacation time to visit both of our parents and also to attend a conference um, down in the Orlando area. About 6,000 um, people were there, many of them pastors and their wives, on the subject of going home, a new heaven and a new earth, and what awaits us, and the privilege and the blessing that we have to have hope. I came home, and uh, my neighbor died this week when we were away. And, and I was just talking with him right before we left about how beautiful his lawn always looks, how horrible my lawn looks. And I was reminded, and, and it's a reminder for all of us, about that very, very, very thin veil that exists between our life right here, right now, this temporary life here on this earth, and what? And all of eternity. Very, very thin veil. Where everyone will exist in one of two places, heaven or hell. I know there's a heaviness to that, but it is necessary. It is important to be reminded of that. That's why we gather every week faithfully. That's why we open this word that gives to us the hope of eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Um, I appreciate your prayers for us as we were away. We were encouraged and refreshed, and it is always a delight to be back and to understand the privilege and the weight and responsibility that is mine to open up and to read and to study God's Word. I am so grateful for our brother, Kenny Hall, who blessed us last week, reminding us that we are, what, like living stones. We are being built up. I love that present tense, being built up, which means, you know what, we're not there yet. We're not done yet. We're in process. And that's why we gather to learn and to grow and to stretch, to lean in closer as we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through His Word. Let's bow our heads and go to the Word as we learn this, this morning. <clears throat> Father, we come before You and we are, we are so grateful that we have access to You through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for the hope that we have in Christ. God, I would ask that You would guide our time this morning in Your Word and amazingly important and uplifting and encouraging text. Father, I would ask that your spirit would minister in a unique way to each individual heart here, that this word is alive, that it lasts, it lives and endures. God, use me as you see fit and please, Lord, guide my mind and my speech. May it be glorifying to you and to you alone. We pray for um, this church, this body, as we advance for the cause of the kingdom, that we understand our, our responsibility to be light, to be salt, and that we would be found faithful. Father, I do pray for dear Carol Reeser and her family, the loss of her husband. Father, I would ask, Lord, that we would be aware as to the world that is around us, that we would offer a cup of cold water through the message of the gospel, continually. We ask, Lord, that you be glorified in this time. In your name we pray. 
Amen. The book of First Peter, if you recall, has been written uh, to encourage us. It has been written to strengthen and to stabilize us. I've, I've used this term stand so that we stand strong in Christ, on Christ, and for Christ. And it's necessary because, again, I was reminded just recently, struck with the fact that we as Christians, we are followers of Christ. If you to examine our lives, we are supposed to be committed to love one another, love others in our community. We are committed to, to give and to serve, to care for one another. We're committed to, to extend grace and patience and forgiveness. I'm amazed that Christians, for some reason, if we're committed to do that, which all seem to be wonderful, positive things, can evoke so much hostility in this world. So much hatred, in a sense, directed towards Christians because I believe we simply speak truth. We believe in absolutes. There's a right and a wrong. There is good and evil. There is heaven and there is hell. And so what happens is that many people think about Christians and they are immediately labeled. There's all kinds of words. Christians, yeah, you know, those, those people, they're self-righteous and self-absorbed and they're haughty or arrogant, or ignorant, or uneducated, or buttoned up, or bigoted, or cold, or old, or stiff. You get the, the, the whiff of mothballs whenever you hear the word Christians, that they're boring, irrelevant, picky, or hypocritical. There's no shortage of adjectives that the world has today to describe Christians. And, and we exist. And sadly, a lot of times we give people fodder to criticize it's exhausting at times to live in this world as faithful, and so we have to be reminded in texts like this, this morning, to be strong and to stand, to remember who we are. First and foremost, we are broken sinners that have been offered what? Hope. We've been offered hope. Salvation by grace through faith and work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and we've accepted that and received that, and it's only because of that that we now live and walk and work and exist and serve to the glory of God. We seek to live our lives, you and I, are to seek to live to God's glory, and we display the fruits of the Spirit of God. So regardless of how difficult it is out there, remember what we are called to do more than anything else. We hold tight, we strive to be obedient to the Word of God, and we live in light of the Gospel. Regardless of how difficult it is, continue to love other people. Continue to extend grace and patience and serve and give and hold on tight to the hope that exists in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are people with a purpose, regardless of how dark it gets or how, 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 how exhausted you may be. I was reminded of this as I was reading in the Gospel of John this week, John chapter 17. It is referred to as the high priestly prayer. Up to this point, we know that Jesus had been meeting with the disciples. We know that he has carefully washed their feet He broke bread with them. We celebrate that later on today. And then he begins to pray very specifically for his followers, his disciples. Remember Peter, the author of this text this morning, was sitting there. Jesus says throughout John 17, he says, Father, the hour has come. He he says, I have glorified you. 
I have manifested your name. Jesus said, I am coming to you. Jesus says that I have kept them, speaking of the disciples, in your name. He says, I have guarded them. And then he says this, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world's. And he says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Realize what Jesus is speaking of here. This word that has been given, this truth speaks about the teachings of Jesus, speaks about the message of the gospel. Jesus speaks, and we have to be awake and alert about the inevitable opposition, the constant conflict and the pushback that we will have when we live with a gospel-saturated biblical worldview in a world that is filled with a man-centered, secular-minded, pleasure-seeking worldview. It's no surprise you're going to constantly clash. Constantly, every day, you will collide with others in this world. Why? Because it's complete opposite. The world's view of our purpose, the world's view of success is in complete contradiction to what you have in front of you this morning. The world says what? Exalt yourself. Look out for yourself. The word says, no, you humble yourself. The world says what? You keep everything you can. Hold on to it. Hoard it. The word says, no, you just give it. Give it all. Give yourself. Give everything. The world says what? Trust the teaching. Trust the enlightenment around you. And the word of God says, no, you trust the teacher. The world says what? You need to win at all costs. And the word says what? Jesus said, I already have won. The battle's over. The world says, let your feelings dictate who you are. Let no one stop you. You just do whatever you want to do. And the word says, what? No, your feelings, your emotions are to be constantly controlled by the spirit of God. We live in this and it gets tiring. It gets exhausting. You push up against this every day. That's the audience that Peter was writing to. And they were in a sense feeling like many of you feel at times. This is really, really hard. Yeah, I didn't sign up for this because I didn't think it was going to be this tough. And that's why these words were written. To remind us, to refresh us, to encourage us, and to energize us. Do you realize who you are in Christ? Follow along, 1 Peter chapter 2, our text, verses 9 and 10. But you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, One time you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Point number one this morning, you have been selected to serve. Remember that. It begins with what? You are a chosen race. Chosen is, is it's an obvious term. We choose things every day. It means to be selected or it means to be elected. It means to be picked. You've been chosen. A chosen race, some translations use the word generation. A chosen generation, I think it easily confuses with a chronological, or it, it implies a chronological element which can steer us off. The word genos here means seed. A chosen race, a chosen seed, the word, the term speaks about a body of people who have a common origin. And our common origin is this, is that we have been chosen by God unto salvation. What this is, is a loud shouting proclamation. It's a clear reminder about the doctrine that we refer to as election. God's grace is seen all over this text here. We were selected. Remember the address in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, to those who are elect. These are individuals who have been chosen to be part of God's family. They've been picked out and they are seen precious by the creator of us, by the sustainer of the entire universe, which means that if we have been chosen by someone else, we don't have any place to brag or to boast. Ever been chosen before? I can think of very specific moments and times. I remember standing against the chain link fence on the side of a baseball field. And, and, and there were captains, and my, my older brother, bigger and stronger and faster. Do you know that we have a softball team here at Big Woods? Wow, it's like really, I went out to practice. I'm like, hey, I go out to practice. He's play some softball. I'm the oldest guy out there. A ball was hit in the outfield. Yeah, I got it. As I'm running, I'm not even near the ball. It used to be there. I remember standing as a kid up against the chain link fence. And you kind of uh, you, you, you're kind of looking at the ground, you're kicking the dirt. Someone, please. And I remember my brother would point at me. He said, I will take him. Me? I, I remember another time. I remember on my knees with a little tiny diamond ring in my hand outstretched. And I was waiting for an answer. And the answer was, yes, I choose you. I'll accept you. I remember literally a phone call from Jack Dingus. Remember Jack? And he said that we've been praying as a a body of believers. And the elders have chosen I remember being invited to come and to teach and to preach. That's what I love to do, and I love people. This is amazing. We don't deserve any of that. God chose us. Being chosen, we're never to confuse or conclude with the idea that Christians are any better than non-Christians. Instead, Christians are simply called with a purpose. And this purpose is proven by the fact that Christians are here to serve other people. We're not to subjugate mankind. We're to serve mankind. We're not here to be served. 
We're here to serve. John chapter 13, Jesus is meeting with those disciples. And he, what, he washes the disciples' feet. Filthy, dirty, smelly, grimy feet. He gets on his hands and he washes them carefully. Gets up and he said, you should wash one another's feet. Then he says this. He says this, you should do as I have done to you. One of the first messages I ever preached in my entire life, many, many years ago, it was called Dirty Feet. It was on that very text. You should do as I have done. Are you you doing that? Are you understanding and fulfilling the purpose of what it means to be called? You realize that a lot of times when we feel worn out and frazzled and frustrated, we feel run down or beat down. When you seek to serve someone else, all of a sudden, you don't feel so beat up and run down. Why? You're fulfilling the purpose that God has chosen for you. John chapter 15, verses 16 and 17, Jesus again, same setting is speaking. He says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. And he concludes in verse 17, he says, I command you so that you will love one another. How how I love hearing the testimonies of so many people that have come to Big Woods. How how did you get here? Who, who, Who introduced you? Who brought you? And so many times it begins with this. Someone, someone came to me when I was in need. That's how this body is growing. That's because people understand what it means to be chosen, to be selected, to serve. Not only that, but it continues on. It says, not only you're a chosen race, but a royal priesthood. That word royal, if you pause on that for a moment, it's a thought-provoking word. It's filled. Words that come to mind, royalty, formality pageantry, pomp, and circumstance, and privilege. The color purple comes to mind. It makes us think about being kingly, doesn't it? However, understand at this time, Christians, the church's royal priesthood are actually associated with the royal priest, Jesus Christ. You understand, again, the responsibility, the weight. You read all the way through the Old Testament. Read Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Whenever you examine the role of the priest, realize what the role of the priest, first and foremost, it's one of serving. It's sacrificing, it's praying, it's ministering, it's counseling. It describes the duties of a priest. We're here to serve other people. Think about some of the royal priests that are examined throughout the pages of scriptures, individuals that God just just selected and pointed out. I think of the apostle Paul. He was formerly Saul. He was literally beating on, destroying. God selected him. God chose him. Paul and Silas in prison cell. They are what they understand their purpose and they are being persecuted as a result of it. What happens? I think of in the middle of the night when everything rocks and rattles and what's these people in the right place, a revival service breaks out for the Philippian jailer and his entire family. They're serving others. They're speaking. They're communicating constantly. Understand you in idea of royal priesthood has something to do with rule 
but it's by your obedience and your service and your sacrifice here on earth that that one time, at one point, realize we will rule with him, the royal priest, the future kingdom that is established, what a joy it is to eagerly hold on to that, even right now. You realize what is in store for us as faithful followers of Christ, as ones who are chosen race, a royal priesthood. You have been selected to serve. Secondly, you've been set apart. You've been set apart to show, purposely to show. It says what? You are a holy nation. This characteristic has to do with being set apart or different from the rest of the world. If you recall back again in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, what? Be holy because I am holy. Again, unfortunately, you take this word holy and you kind of pause on this and you examine this and, and people have this misunderstanding, misrepresentation of this word. Holy must be boring. Holy just sounds boring. Holy just sounds old or stiff or stodgy. That's Who wants to be holy? Holy is not very fun. I remember thinking that years ago. If we pursue holiness, I guess we're not going to have any more fun. No, that's not it at all. That thinking, that mentality is completely wrong. We need to change that. We need to pursue what it means to be sanctified, set apart, like God is for others, to show and to model. This is to be something that is pursued by us constantly. Dads, model holiness for your families. Moms, model holiness. Grandparents, model and show. Elders are striving to model holiness. This is who we are. This is what we're called to do. And the world has no concept. The world has no understanding of this. You and I cannot afford. We cannot afford. Remember that thin veil that exists between life here on this earth and all of eternity in one of two places. We cannot afford to lose our grip on this aspect of our journey. I'm so struck with the fact people refuse to pursue holiness today because they're afraid. We don't want to be too weird. We don't want to stand out too much. We don't want to look too different. And people literally are afraid of what other people are going to think about them. You're going to be more afraid about what other people say about you than what your holy heavenly father says about you. When God commands this, when we are described as people who are to be holy, we should hunger for this and pursue this, long for this, ache for this every single day. People, it is so important that if there's no pursuit of holiness, if there's no hungering and thirsting for holiness, if we falter in this area, let's just let something slide. We cannot fulfill the complete purpose. We cannot fulfill the complete purpose that God has called us to do. And so this morning, we, we seek to examine our own hearts. Allow the Holy Spirit right now to speak to your heart, to look at the very crevices, the dark corners. A lot of times we, we, we sweep up and, and actually we just kind of lift the carpet up a little bit and we sweep it under there. No one's ever going to see that and we put it back down. You can only do that for so long. And all of a sudden the carpet kind of gets a little bumpy. Okay, and, and it's going to be evidence. It's going to be seen. 
Jonathan Edwards describes it like this, very, very easy description for us and what this holiness looks like, how we are to do this. Edwards says this, never do anything that you would be afraid to do in the last hour of your life. Think of it like that. When there's that fleeting moment, that, that moment of temptation, I could touch that, I could taste that. I know it's wrong, but it just so, never do anything that you'd be afraid to do in the very last hour of your life, knowing what? After death, the judgment. Finally, what else we as believers to increase our faith and brighten our day? It says that we are people for his own possession. Another translation, I love this, says that, that we are his own special people. I, I don't know about you, as old as we get, what, there's still something about the idea of someone pointing at you and saying, you know what, not only you're mine, but you're special to me. Who we are in and of ourselves isn't what makes us special. Who we belong to makes us special. Who we belong to sets us apart. Many years ago, as a kid, I was visiting the Philadelphia Museum. Love history. I remember walking up to a particular case and, 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 and inside of this glass-covered case were, were Thomas Edison's glasses. And I was like, and I called, I was like, look at that's that's the guy, right? The guy who gave us the light bulb. That's the ones that he looked at, the glasses that he looked out of, they're sitting right there. Now think about it. Why why aren't Art Gray's glasses or Craig Brady's glasses there? I think I think according to American historians. Art Gray, as cool as he is, or Craig Brady, as talented, according to the American historians, their glasses aren't as valuable. For some reason, their glasses aren't as valuable as Thomas Edison's. Why? Because Thomas Edison gave us the light bulb and the phonograph and all these other, he has like hundreds and hundreds of pets, all these conveniences. The glasses are special, why? Because they belong to someone who did something that we really appreciate today. And it's this idea right here. Likewise, your value, your full worth is who you are as an individual. Not as gifted, as intelligent, as beautiful, as athletic, not nuts. But your value, your worth comes simply because you belong to God. You were created by God and you are to live every moment, every breath that you take to the glory of God. And then, and then we are to show people. We are to share with people that thirdly and finally we are sharing to shine. It says proclaiming the excellencies of him. Proclaiming the excellencies of him. Proclaim means what? Proclaim means to say it. To proclaim means to speak it. To shout it. To show any and all. 
Any and all. Yeah, but they think we're kind of... It doesn't matter what they think about. You are to proclaim the excellencies of Him. Specifically, who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Called you out of darkness. You and I, we were stuck in sin. Cursed. Cursed to death. We were relegated to darkness. And now what? Now now it says that you have been taken out of that and you are children of light. Jesus uses this exact same term. He points and he speaks and he says, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you you see why there's so much for us to be speaking about and shouting and saying? He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He made you his own special people. God saw you. Christ saw you. And Christ made a way possible for you. I heard an old, old story about a savior who came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, And then I repented of my sins and I won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. My favorite lines. He sought me and he bought me. You. He sought you and he bought you with his redeeming blood. What, what, a, what, a, what a concept. He made a way for you. And I love this. It says that he gave you mercy when you had none, when you deserved none. Ephesians chapter 2, but God who is rich in mercy Mercy is what? You not receiving the penalty and the pain that you deserve. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. That, that, that is you. This, this is us. We, we, we come in conflicts. We are in constant pushback against the philosophies in this world between the worldview and a gospel-saturated biblical worldview. And it is exhausting. So when you hear this text, may I ask you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Does that, does that help you? Does that encourage you? Does it strengthen you? Does it give you hope? Does it give you purpose? I tell you what, if it does not, then you need to examine your heart right now. A group this size, without a doubt, without a doubt, there are some of you that have not a clue 
about what the gospel can do in your life. Because you've not surrendered. You've not repented. And you've not accepted and received the gift that God has for you. May, may you understand that you can be what? Chosen, set apart to pursue holiness for a purpose. I, I hope when you look down through this list of all that God has for you, that, that you say, that's me, that's me. As hard as it is, as exhausting as it may be, that's what I want, that's what I desire more than anything else. We have this made possible because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have the opportunity today through the communion table to celebrate this. And it's, it's, it's something that we do until the Lord comes again. We regularly do this until the Lord comes. And we say, it's, it's not us, it's not our works. By grace you're saved through faith. It's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in that same setting that we talked about, we, we talked about Jesus meeting with those disciples in the upper room. And they weren't entirely understanding the fact that he has to go from them and he's going to suffer for them. And he gave to them an object lesson that we are commanded in Scripture to remember to hold on to. Because in all the busyness of this world, we choose to forget oftentimes what Jesus Christ has done for us and we can't afford to forget. We can't afford to go too long in our lives without returning to the the body and the blood of Christ, the work of Christ. And so what Jesus did with those disciples is that he took some breads. It was unleavened bread. Leaven is oftentimes a picture of sin. Jesus Christ lived his entire life without sin. And he said, this body is a picture of, this bread is a picture of my body. And he broke it in front of the disciples so that they could see it. He said, just as this bread is broken, my body is going to be broken for you. After that, it says that he took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out. And as he poured it out, he said that this this cup is a picture of my blood. Blood is what offers life and sustains life. Jesus Christ was going to allow his own blood to be poured out to pay the price that needs to be paid for your sin and for my sin. And he said, remember this. He said, drink of this. Don't ever forget it. And so we have the privilege regularly of doing this as a church that is completely founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and the authority of the word of God. We're commanded to do this and we will do this and we won't forget it. And so we invite you, if you are a believer here this morning, to partake with this supper, the Eucharist, the communion table of the Lord. We're going to offer it to you. The elders are going to come and they're going to serve this to you. Let me just remind you that if you are not a member of Big Woods Bible Church, but you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've given your life to the Lord, then this is for you. Please take of this and celebrate this. But if you are here today and you have not accepted, if you have not received the gift of salvation that is offered by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, please don't take of this. If you refuse... But this is also a time, it's a moment, a very minute that you can be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done. And by simply saying, Lord, I understand that I am a sinner. I understand how far I am from you. I understand that some, 
something needs to be paid and offered. And the only thing that can be paid and offered is Christ. For he was the only one who was without sin. You can accept that and receive that even at this very moment. I'm going to ask the elders if they would come now when they're going to serve you. They're going to serve you the bread first. And then we're going to ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup. And then they're going to serve you the cup. And we will partake of this together as a family. you bow our heads and pray with me. Father, as we come before you at this moment in accordance to your word and in obedience to your word, and we understand, Lord, that we don't do this just repeatedly without thought, Father, but we do it 
with renewed understanding and renewed awareness and reminded even today through your word of what you've done for us. Lord, by acknowledging that it was your body that was broken, it was your blood that was poured out for us in place of us. And we, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that it is through your body and through your blood that makes a way to have a relationship with a holy God. Father, I just ask right now that you would bless this and that you would be glorified through our lives and in our lives. We would understand our calling, our place, and our purpose. Father, we thank you so much that we have the hope of the gospel to live and to show and to share and to shine constantly. May we be faithful in doing that. May this be a reminder for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Thank you, gentlemen. It says in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.